This is Kennedy Malloy. Here on Kennedy Malloy, uh, we are joined by an absolute legend of music. I am super thrilled. I've grown up through my brother, who was a massive Bruce Springsteen fan and the E Street Band. And, uh, in fact, I've still got the records beside me right now. But I am speaking to the great Stevie Van Zandt from the E Street Band. How are you, Steve? Hi, Dave. I'm great. How are you doing? Congratulations. Very well, thank you, mate. 20 records for Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. And Letter to You is so fantastic. You must be super proud. Yeah, we actually are. It was uh, a lot of fun to go in and... uh, Especially, you know, the way we recorded it, which was the old mm. school way of, you know, Bruce walking in with an acoustic guitar, and then we we um, took it from there, you know, from 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 scratch, and uh, that's how we did, you know, the River and Born in the USA, and so it was nice to get back to that process, that that style. Yeah, does it make it easier or harder if you've got five days to? Because you're basically playing live almost, aren't you, on the record? Yeah, it was live. I mean, he he sang. We kept all the live vocals as well. I mean, he's he's singing amazingly well. Yeah. Um, If he wanted to sing it again, we played it again. You know. Um, So it's literally live. A couple of little overdubs, like you know, a saxophone, you know, or two. Mm. Uh, That's about it, really. you know, glockenspiel, literally, that might be, you know, it. But um, it, it's easier. The E Street Band at this point really does sort of produce itself. You know, everybody knows mm. their their role. And it was just a matter of a couple of the new guys, you know, uh, mm. working their way in, which was quite effortless. Um, you know, Nils, um, there's, there's always a third guitar part. That's easy. Mm. You know, we, we and... Um, Charlie uh, on the organ, uh, you know, uh, had to sort of adapt to the E Street style, which is a little bit different mm. than a typical session because Danny Federici was so unique. And uh, him and Roy have a certain thing that they do together. And so I think Charlie, you know, rose to that occasion really quite well. And, uh, of course, Jake uh, playing uh, the sax that, uh, that his Uncle Clarence would have been playing. Mm. And he's he's been just terrific. So, yeah. you know, the new guys, uh, you know, yeah. fit right in, like I say, effortlessly. And, and the whole thing was effortless. Bruce had written the thing ahead of time in a very definitive, focused way, which was unusual mm. for him. We've made records where he's, you know, we've recorded 50, 60 songs. And this was literally, we recorded exactly what the album was. And, uh, mm. you know, uh, we... we, we um, we did it on the Beatles schedule of, yeah. of three hours a song, yeah. and uh, that was it. So, um, so when when Bruce decides a new record's coming, does the bat phone ring? Is it like, oh, here's Bruce, we're going back in to record an album? What's the what happens there? Well, in this case, you know, because the last three years I've been touring, you know, with my Disciples of Soul, which I hadn't done for for, for twenty years. Mm. So, uh, and we we were down in Australia actually, and all over. I put out two albums in the last three years: Soul Fire and summer of sorcery and um and so um, oh i don't know six months or so uh, beforehand bruce brought up you know he says i got I, I got i got a new album so i said okay well let me stop my tour then in november thinking that we would need a couple of months yeah, to of record yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> um even though we always record quickly you know song per song mm. but i thought there would just be dozens and dozens of songs 
so uh, we I allowed for several months of recording, and then and then another three months, you know, figuring uh, what the record company would need, and, and in order to have it out for spring mm. of 2020, you know, thinking we would tour, yeah, of course, immediately. So I blocked out the entire 2020, <laughs> and um, we re- <laughs> recorded the entire thing in four days. And, uh, <laughs> and on the fifth day, we drank tequila and listened to it. <laughs> that is so great. Um, this morning, I, I watched the, um, the film that accompanies the record, which is brilliant. So if, if you're a music fan and, and you just love music, uh, I love getting behind the scenes and watching you guys in the studio. Um, that's a lot of fun. And that's, a, that's just a really interesting take on making a record. Yeah, it's a, it a good idea to film it you know, and show people what goes on. And, and um, he started doing this narration thing on, on Western Stars, his last album, yeah. which um, I, I felt was extraordinarily important. Uh, his last record was a bit odd in, in a way. Uh, it was very, very creative and, and uh, a bit unusual, I think, than what the fans might have been expecting. Mm. And so it, it was very, I think, really helped people get into the record when he did the Western Stars film. Mm. And uh, and you could see what was going on in, in his head, you know, what he was thinking, what was behind the songs. Mm. And uh, and then he did the same thing for, for this one, although it's very, very different musically and, and yeah. um, not not nearly as uh, unusual in terms of, you know, what you would expect from Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I mean, this is this is very much a fan's album. Yeah. You know, this is exactly what the fans, I think, would want. Um, so it, it, it wasn't a matter of explaining anything other than, uh, you know, connecting the dots a, a bit uh, in the film. And, and I, it, it just makes it, it makes the whole thing a more a richer, I agree. a more satisfying experience. I agree. And it's a reflective album, isn't it? Like it's it's a it's an album for you know, fallen bandmates. Like it's it's Bruce's chance. It's it's a love letter to the people he's played with over the years. Yeah, it's the first album he's written about his work, you know. Yeah. What he's, it's what he's been doing all these years, uh, and um, you know it's it's a combination of, of his first band, the Castiles, which I think set set the idea up because um, uh, the last member of that band just passed away, and so Bruce thought, well, you know, oh my goodness, I'm the last guy standing here, and that's I think that triggered the idea. Mm. But it's also you know it's also about the E Street Band as well, you know it's something that. Um, it's very an unusual, uh, unusual relationship. B- bands are un- un- unusual to begin with. I mean, mm. you, you know, you, you meet you meet people when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, and, and if it's a if it's a local band, which it usually is, and um, you know, you, you're together for the rest of your lives. Mm. You know, mm. uh, one way or the other. You know, 40, 50, 60 years. Yeah. I mean, that's a very unusual job. You know, it is indeed. So, so, so it's sort of about that. And yes, it's also about loss, and I, and I, I think it, it, it couldn't help but be influenced a little bit by what's going on here politically as well, mm. which we've all been experiencing a loss of our country, you mm. know, uh, of the ideals that our country started with, and uh, and the identity of America. I think has been compromised these last four years rather severely, mm. and I think that I think that may be my own reading, you know, that into the record, but I, I feel. 
that the record is a, is a bit of a product of the environment as well, mm, you know. Definitely. Uh, you mentioned, you know, bands starting at 15 and 16. So you and Bruce fir- first met at about that age too. How did, were your school friends? What was the first introduction for you and Bruce? I was 15, he was 16. Mm. Um, we both had bands and um, it was unusual to have a band. I mean, I mean the, the British invasion, as we called it, yeah. uh, began with the Beatles February 9th, 1964, on a, on, a, on, a, on a TV show that the entire country watched. Right. And, and literally, uh, the day before that, there was no bands in America, none. You know, you had singing groups, you had individuals like Little Richard and Chuck Berry. Of course, yeah. Um, instrumental groups. But there's really no such thing as a band. Yeah, right. As we know it now, you know, wow. who sang and played yeah. and eventually wrote their own songs. I mean, this was really literally only the crickets and, and Buddy Holly emerged from them, you know. Yeah, of course. Rather quickly. Um, but that was it, you know, which is obviously where the Beatles got their name. Uh, so, so uh, you know, here comes the Beatles mm. and, and then 15 groups right behind them, you know. Uh, and so n- nobody had a band the night before the Beatles played. Everybody had a band the day after. I mean, literally. Mm. In their garages, you know. Now, only a few of them got out and actually played in the area. Mm. And, and, and I had one and Bruce had one. So if you were in a band in those days, you know, it was quite... A freaky, you know, you were you were friends. Yeah, you, yeah. you were you were friends just by just by being in a band. Yeah, and so playing in shows together with your band. Not not till a bit later. I mean, we we, we did a couple of band battles together. Right. Of course, we won. Our <laughs> band won. Uh, um, and uh, we started playing together a bit a bit later. Yeah, well, just a few years later, really. So so much happened in such a short time in those days. You know, every every few months a lot was happening, yeah. you know? So by, by, uh, I don't know, 68, 69, we started playing together in various bands. Sometimes mm. he'd be in my band, sometimes I'd be in his. And then, um, I ended up joining the East street band. I started a band called Southside Johnny and Asbury Jukes, uh, which we created a scene in Asbury park. Um, cause Bruce's first couple of records didn't do very well. So he couldn't tour. Mm. So he was hanging around with us. It's a club called Stone Pony in Asbury Park. Wow. And we started a real scene. Mm. You know, it became three nights a week, a thousand people a night. It was, you know, mm. just like you read about, you know, in, in wherever, in Liverpool Cavern or... There was such an appetite for it, wasn't there? People were seeking it out. Yeah. In those days, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were very lucky. We're the luckiest generation for sure. I mean, yeah, we had a lot of places to play. Anyway, so I finally joined the E Street Band on the, the Born to Run tour, which was his third album. Mm. And then I got involved with, uh, with Darkness, and then I started producing with, yeah. on the river and, and Born to USA. I, I co-produced those two, and, uh, and then I left. Yeah. And I left and started my own solo career. I did five albums in the 80s and, uh, and started acting, and yeah. then uh, I went back to my own music just in these last three years. I... I, I put 20 years in between hmm. and um, did the soul fire album. And we took that to Australia, came back to the States and did the summer of sorcery tour, which was my latest. And, um, and we ended it, you know, like I said, we, en- we ended the tour thinking that you know, we'd be probably touring in 2020 yeah, of course. with the E street band. Yeah. And um, made the record much quicker than we expected. And, and uh, 
And now we have a, a 2020 with a completely blank schedule. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know? Well, 2021. Let's hope we can sort of get it all back on track. Uh, you were talking about Born to Run before, um, which that was the, the record that I got introduced to Bruce with through my brother. And I remember a couple of tours back because I've seen most of the tours that have come out to Australia. But you might have been filming um, Lilyhammer, I think, at the time. So I don't think you were here for the might have been the High Hopes tour. So um, Bruce was out. Tom Morello was uh, was playing right. uh, playing your role for that particular tour. And we, we caught up with Tom Morello um, while he was in Australia, and he had one of those out-of-body experiences. Uh, this is what he had to say, Tom Morello. There, there's that moment in in, uh, uh, in Born to Run where there's that kind of bam, 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 bam. And I, and I just can't believe that I'm playing that. <laughs> With Bruce, I'm standing right next to the guy, and we're playing that. It's just one of those iconic songs, and what a moment for Tom. I mean, you get to play that song a lot. Did you have much to do with the construction of that song or, or, or that riff? Um, the story of the riff, when he first played me the song, you know, before I was in the band, I mean, we, we were already friends. They had been working on that song for a long time. And, um, you know, after a while, you, you start to hear what you want to hear. You know, you're not, you're not quite hearing reality anymore and, and um yeah and he played me the song and I, and I and i said i just love that minor chord change in in the riff you know it's just wonderful hmm. and he was like the what minor chord riff there's no <laughs> minor chord riff you know and i said obviously there's a minor chord riff you know and uh so so what had happened was uh he was bending the note you know down right yeah the, the correct riff is down 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 right only he was bending the notes. It was going down, 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 right? And and you could hear where he was bending the note from, mm. but you couldn't hear where the note was bending to. <laughs> so it stayed it stayed minor, <laughs> which I thought was the one I was I was complimenting him on. Yeah, it, of course. Know, I, thought, <laughs> I thought it was a terrific chord change. It's a real Roy yeah. Orbison type of yeah. chord change, or you know something the Beatles the Beatles would have done. You know, yeah, of course. And so they had to redo the mix, which. They'd spent like you know two weeks mixing the song, <laughs> so they had, to, they, had to, they had to recut the guitar part. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, so so that's the only thing I had to do with it with with that song really. I mean, of course, he credits me with saving saving his career. Well, know? of course, and, and and you get to play that song. What's it like being up on stage? You're in the E Street Band. You're playing with Bruce Springsteen. You look out, and there's the Disciples. Um, what's that feeling like playing? It's another day at the office, baby. Right. <laughs> you know, what can I tell you? <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, you know, I'm more comfortable doing that. That's work. Yeah, right. Than living life. I mean, you know, I'm, that's the comfort zone is yeah. on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's this. It's the w most wonderful routine in the world. You know, you know, it's mm. the most wonderful job in the world. It's nice to get a shot of that every three years or so. Yeah. If you can do it. Well, you know, we may have to wait a bit now. I've always said going to a, a Springsteen show with the E Street Band is is almost like a religious experience because every time I've seen you guys perform, it, it's a different show. You know, there's different stories. There's, there's a, the, the music's thrown around. It's um, every time it's different. Yeah, we just got into that very early. Mm. You know, um, once you have enough songs to make it different, yeah. you know, yeah. which takes a couple of tours. Sure. <laughs> it takes, you know, um, that probably. When did that begin? Uh, probably uh, around the fourth album. Right. Uh, you know, you know, Dark is on the Edge of Town. At that mm. point, the show suddenly became three and a half, four hours. Yeah. 
and um, he just got into changing the order of, 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 the, of the set every single night, and, uh, and and always has ever since. You know, yeah. four hour show. Do you get do you get exhausted by the end of that? I mean, that's a that's a long time at the office. Well, yeah. Well, the only time we really got started to become a bit much was a few tours ago. Yeah, we started to hit four hours. You know, <laughs> yeah, and you know. At, at four hours, you know, he, yeah, you literally he he came over to me, and, you know, when I was staying, <laughs> my fingers no longer yeah. work, you know, you know, I yeah. can no longer bend the strings, you know. <laughs> so I said, "Don't complain That's to right. me, baby." You know, go tell the boss. You know, uh, is there a favorite track on this new record for you? Something that you've really connected with? Yeah, I, I must say, at the moment, there is. It's, it's, if I was a priest, is this? Uh, uh, it's a song that uh, for me. You know, you can hear a little bit of Bob Dylan in it, and uh, but mm. but it's not exactly Bob Dylan, and it's not exactly the band, but it, it it's the Bo- it's Bob Dylan with the band. It's like a awesome. it's like a Basement Tapes song. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember the Basement Tapes, but that um, it was one of the one of the very very early bootlegs that eventually got released uh, officially. But but uh, it was it was Bob and the band just just working up songs. It it, it struck me is that that kind of a song, and I'm. I was very proud of the fact I really mm. got that band type harmony on that last on that last chorus. You know that Rick Danko, I, I assume it is, or, or I don't know mm. Richard Manuel, whoever's singing the high parts uh, of the band. Um, I really I thought I captured that exact band harmony. You know, and and then uh, and then in the fade, I, you know, I assumed the song was over, so I snuck in a little mm. bit of a, <laughs> well done. of a solo there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, I think the whole record is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. My only problem is at the moment, Stephen, because um, we've just come out of lockdown in Melbourne. None of the record stores have been open because there's been no retail available. So I'm because uh, I've, I've I've got all I've got all your records here. Don't worry, I've been a, a collector of Springsteen records and E Street Band for years. So I'm just waiting for the shops to open so I can grab vinyl. Um, is vinyl still important to someone like yourself? I mean, records uh, is it something that you will still go and and buy? Because um, I, I love. I love the the tactile and be able to to read the liner notes and see who produced the record and who wrote the songs and things like that. That's why it's important, you know. Uh, not, it's not so much, you know, so so important anymore, um, sound wise, you know, because you know, in the end, uh, you're still in, sure. coming from the digital domain, and you know, uh, uh, unless you're into, you know, yeah, direct to disc recording, which mm. you know, not many people are going to do. Um, so so musically, it's not all that different but um but yeah the important part of it is for younger generations to see yeah that it takes an army to make a record you know i mean there there is such a thing as writers and producers and you know and sometimes arrangers and uh you know the musicians and engineers and, and you know it's good yeah. it's good that people actually see the credits so they don't think that music <laughs> falls off trees, you know? And I think there's um, also a younger generation that are embracing it. I mean, you, you go to the record stores now and you see the the kids, are they're into it. So that, That's what I mean. Thank yeah. God, you know, because yeah, they're... The yeah, because, uh, you, yeah, you'd hate for a generation to miss out on what we grew up with. And, Very cool. And do you remember the first record that you bought, Steve? Uh, yeah, actually. It was um, Little Anthony and the Imperials' Tears on My Pillow. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, closely followed by um, Twist and Shout. Wow. Uh, by the Isley Brothers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Pretty Little Angel Eyes, like Curtis Lee and, mm. you know. Uh, All the good stuff. Bristol Stomp by the Dovells and Duke of Earl by Gene Chandler, you know. 
the early sixties, I started, you know, buying singles. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, seeing the Beatles on TV really made me want to do it because I had no interest in show business, really. Mm. I, I, it was, it was the band thing, you know, yeah. we'd never seen a band yeah, like yeah. that. And, and that's what got me excited. You know, that the gang, you know, the posse, yeah. the, the team the camaraderie. Yeah. That it, it, it had a different communication, man. Yeah. You know, it wasn't look at me. I'm in a spotlight. It was, it was us, you know, I totally get it. And that was, that spoke of community, you know, yeah. and, um, that was what attracted me, you know. Well, mate, our, our time is up, sadly, but I could talk to you forever about music, but uh, it's an absolute thrill. The song we're playing at the moment on the radio um, is uh, Ghosts, which uh, is a fantastic song. And Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, Bruce says it's about um, the joy and beauty of being in a band and, and the pain of, of losing another. And um, I love the song. It's got the la di it's got the claps as well. So any song that gives you those things and uh, you can sing along to on the radio, it's fantastic. Yes, and, 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 and let's dedicate it to a couple of friends who are in bands, Jimmy Barnes and Peter Garrett. Can we do that? Yeah, you, uh, you know what? We, we're speaking with Peter Garrett on the show today. He's actually going to join us today um, on Kennedy Malloy. Ah. So you, you bet. Uh, just, just quickly on Australian music, because, you know, you spend a lot of time down here, so you've mentioned Jimmy and, and Peter. Um, are there any Australian bands that, um, that you've fallen in love with over the years? Yeah, yeah. Dom Mariano. You know Dom? Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He has uh, many different bands, starting with, I don't know, the Stems might have been the first. I don't know. But he's every band he's in, I, I love. Yeah. He was one of the very first uh, bands we played on, on my Underground Garage radio show. Oh, right. But, of course, um, you know, we go all the way back to Radio Birdman and uh, and uh, the Easy Beats and uh, Bee Gees. And uh, Australia is quite a rock and roll country, man. It's a... Uh, it's one of the great, great countries for rock and roll in, in, in the history. You know, you got it. I mean, you know, Easy Beat's one of the great bands of all mm. time, you know. 2020 is a write-off. 2021, is there talk, is the band talk about possibly if things work out, we can get out and play these songs? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. You know, things have just been Who knows? handled so badly, uh, mm. you know. Yeah, I know. This thing, this thing could have been fixed in a matter of months, and, of and it was, the incompetence has been incredible. Uh, so, so we'll see because there should have been a there should have been a fast test by now, yeah. you know. Um, even even without the without the vaccine, you know, mm. if you have an actually reliable test, mm. then you can maybe move into a second stage, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But we've been having trouble with that. I don't know. They're starting to play football here in my country, so. We'll yeah. see how they do. This time next week, Stephen, um, fingers crossed there's uh, number 46 on the way. Uh, what's, what's, the, what's the vibe in where you are for, um, for the election next week? Well, it's, it's pretty much life and death as far as yeah. um, keeping our country, uh, having any resemblance to how it yeah. started uh, in mm. terms of our founders. Uh, I think the worldwide climate is at stake, among other things. You know, we've uh, managed to... Um, piss off most of our allies and uh you know we've made uh, russia very happy china very happy north korea very happy yeah. you know yeah. and uh you know everything needs to be reversed before it's too late and mm. and believe me four more years would be too late so mm. i'm quite confident that this guy is going to be kicked out and his whole crime family and uh you know the senate also uh, which is even more important is mm. getting back the Senate from the satanic uh, Mr. McConnell. So we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm hoping that the Biden and the ha Kamala Harris mm. 
win all 50 states <laughs> because, uh, you know, they're going to be cheating every way they can. Their, the Republican Party has now gone completely over the cliff. You know, they're, they're suppressing the vote everywhere they can. Uh, every day there's a story. Stop people from voting. They've, you know, Trump has destroyed the post office. Just in case people are mailing in their votes. That's right. And it's incredible what's, what's going it on. Really is. We've got a spare room in our house for you and Maureen. So if you, you know, if you want to come down to Australia, you can bunker here for a little bit. We're happy to have you guys. All right. Well, we might, we might take you up on that. You know, <laughs> you but uh, your guy down there, he's not, you know, ain't no prize either. You're 100% right. In fact, he's quite beige. He's, he's a real fence setter, this bloke. So, um, yeah, any danger that he could, you know, lead from the front. We've all got similar problems all over the yeah. world at the moment. I mean, you know. Great Britain, same thing, you know, with the ridiculous Brexit. Exactly right. So you know, we, we yeah, we need a we need a bit of a clean a clean up. You know, we need we need a cleaner to come in and um, <laughs> that's right. And fix things. We need a reset. We need Frankie to fix it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Hey, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for the chat today on Triple M. We really appreciate it, mate. You got it, my friend. Hopefully, we'll see you sometime this life. Kennedy Malloy.